Um, let's do that. We're going to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week, we began our new teaching series entitled Regarding Love. Um, we're taking a deep dive into the subject of love because I think it's one of those things where, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me just pause right there. Regarding Love is the name of our sermon series. This will be part two. Last week, Ben Tassel uh, began the series with an introduction, um, which was excellent. Definitely worth listening to if you missed it. Um, but we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and um, we'll read much of what was read last week, but I want us to back up a little bit and include um, sort of the, yeah, a little bit that wasn't read last week. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles or miracle workers, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? These are all obviously rhetorical questions. Verse 31, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails, or love never ends. Let me say a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you don't just give us um, words about love. You actually have demonstrated your love uh, towards us. Thank you for your uh, ultimate expression of love on the cross. Thank you for laying down your life for us. Lord, I pray that as we consider these words, your word, that you would help us. Be our teacher. Guide us into all truth. And Lord, would you help us to have really soft hearts, uh, humble hearts that we can receive from you, that you that, because we want to grow. We want to become better lovers. We want to receive more of your love. Uh, would you help us in this way? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Love is the more excellent way. As we just read, the Apostle Paul, he lists off all of these sort of where we are the body of Christ. It's a metaphor, hands and feet, mouth, ears, etc. And he said, just like any body, it's, it's made up of individual parts. Not everyone's a hand, not everyone's a foot, not everyone's a mouth, thank God. Um, but we're individually members of the body. And within the body, and then he lists off the gifts. There's the apostle. That seems like a big deal. Um, prophets, not like um, fortune tellers, but, but people who hear God's voice and then are able to communicate it to others in a way that builds up. Um, teachers, he goes on to say, um, miracle workers, people who have the gift of healing. These are like cool gifts, right? Awesome gifts. And it almost, I get the feeling as I read the list, it's like he's sort of working his way down. The apostle, that's okay, that's kind of a big deal. At least it sounds like a big deal. Miracle worker, like, it's like the question you got when you were a kid. If you could have one superpower for the day, what would it be? What, what would it be? I guarantee you, you wouldn't pick the gift of administration. That's it. That's the gift. I've, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, although, full disclosure, I highly value that gift because um, I don't have it. But when I see it in operation, I'm like, my goodness, that is straight from heaven. The gift of being organized and, and moving people into their lanes. But the list kind of, it, it's like he starts off with the big ones, the spectacular sounding ones, and he works his way down to various tongues. But then he says, now I will show you the even more excellent way. You thought those were impressive? Buckle up, get ready for the master's class. I'm about to explain to you the most powerful gift of all. And I imagine if you were in that first century Corinthian church listening to the letter read out loud for the first time, you're leaning in and think, oh, here we go. Here we go. This is going to be good. This, this is the one I want. Love. Love. Oh, oh, huh, okay. So, hoping for maybe something a little more exciting, but this is it. This is the most excellent, the most powerful, the most mature of all of the gifts, the more excellent way. This is as advanced as the Christian life gets. <clears throat> This series that we've entitled Regarding Love, um, I, I want to add a few introductory thoughts. Um, I think some of it will probably reiterate some things that Ben emphasized last week. Um, much of what he said, I think, um, bears repeating. Um, and maybe a few additional items as well. Um, but the first thing I want to say, this teaching on love is primarily a study about God. Um, it'd be very easy to sort of read the list and think, okay, here we go. Here's, here's my list of things to work on. And that's, that's one way you could do it, I suppose. But let me emphasize, again, this study on love is primarily a study about God and his love. Uh, because our love for one another is actually an extension of God's love for us. Remember, 
um, the Bible describes us, the creatures, God is the creator, we are the creatures, as image bearers. We have been designed to reflect the image of God. We are first and foremost primarily always receivers before givers. So before we can begin to uh, practice, grow in, or exercise loving others, we need to get a clear view of who God is, how God loves, and perhaps learn, if we learn anything at all, how to receive God's love. And then we begin to reflect it out to the world around us. We bear his image. We express, we share his love. We have been created to reflect God's image. Um, Or to put it another way, we've been created to be like children who imitate. Because, you know, this is what kids do, right? Uh, For better or for worse. We have been created to be like children who imitate our parents, our oldest siblings, our heroes, the people around us who we behold or worship. In fact, uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told to, this is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So if we want to grow in becoming better lovers, better friends, then we need a clear view of God, a greater revelation of God, and dare I say, a greater experience of God's love. So that's the first thing. Uh, second thing. Secondly, this teaching series on love is it's meant to have very practical implications. Um, the kind of love we're talking about isn't merely sentimental. It's not just like good, good vibes, good thoughts, good feelings. Um, that, that's not like biblical love, if I can put it that way. Um, of course, let me quickly add that this love we're talking about is not anti-emotional. I think that's actually a huge mistake to think that somehow like truth is pitted against feelings. That's, that's not how the Bible talks about feelings. It's not anti-emotional, um, but it's not merely emotional. Uh, to quote Bob Goff, love does. Love does. Love is like faith. Um, in fact, in James chapter 2, he says this explicitly. Love is like faith in that love always leads to action. Love without action isn't like love. It's just, just good vibes, just good thoughts, good feelings. Um, by definition, love acts. Love does. Love works itself out um, in service. Love without action is just an ideal It's a good ideal, it's a good idea, but not necessarily actual love. And thirdly, uh, perhaps this is the other side of that, love is practical, love requires action, but love isn't just doing. However important the practical, this teaching series is actually primarily to do with the heart. Love isn't merely a feeling, but nor is love merely a matter of doing the right actions. So you guys probably are, are, 
all, all you guys have probably all heard, sorry. Um, you know, the question, what is love? Is it a feeling? Nah, every, everyone will agree. Like, no, 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 it's more than a feeling. It's more than a feeling, right? Okay, we all get that. Uh, is it a choice? Okay, maybe. I, I like that a little bit more. Or is love an action? Is love just an action? And my sense is that most of us kind of want to land there. Like, yeah, yeah, love is an action. But is love just an action? What did Paul say? What did we just read? You can, like, give away everything you have. You can even burn your body as some sort of, like, act of martyrdom. You can do all of the, quote-unquote, right things. But if you don't have love then who are you kidding? What is that? Which means, I would say, love is best understood as motive. It's motive. Um, in fact, if you read all the way to the end of this letter, 1 Corinthians, the very last thing that Paul says before his like, little benediction, he says in this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. So whatever you do, what this is really about is the motive of our heart. Um, which can get super personal. As practical as love must always be, we would miss the mark by a thousand miles if all we took away from this this series were some tips on how to act different without actually deeply engaging our hearts. And on that, let me, let me, uh, let me give you two questions that I want you to hold on to for this series. Number one, why are you doing this? And number two, who is this really all about? So when we talk about love, more than sentiment, more than action, but a motive of the heart. As you consider your own life, receiving God's love, sharing with others, these are two questions that are going to help us to actually like take a look in our hearts. Why do I do the things that I do? And who is this really all about? Who is this about? This thing that I call Loving so well. Why, why am I doing this thing? And who is this really all about? So, love is patient. This is uh, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Do you feel like a patient person? Feeling affectionate towards someone or even choosing to show goodwill towards them can often come quite naturally, especially if you have chemistry working for you. Am I right? If you've got, um, I don't know, I'm looking around at Nova here, a few of the little ones running around. Do you guys like that we have the little ones running around during our, our worship time? I like it. Some of you hate it. You know why we do it, actually? I know you hate it. It's okay. It's all right. It's good for you. Um, <laughs> um, 
we want the little ones to see what it looks like to worship Jesus in song. There is, there is a cost involved, but uh, we want the little ones to be able to see uh, the people they look up to worshiping Jesus in song. Um, they're easy to love, most of the time. Uh, chemistry has a, has a big, big part to do with that. Um, at least for my kids, I think, why do I love these, these creatures? They're just sucking the life out of me. They're using up all my money. Like, oh, but I love them to death. And I'm like, is this just like evolution like at work here? Or like... But it's easy. It's easy to feel affection um, towards people that, that you like or you're attracted to. Um, I think that's a natural thing. That's a natural thing. Uh, but to maintain such an attitude towards another person over time or through trials, that requires patience, radical patience, or long suffering. That's a different kind of, um, of love. I like to think of myself as a patient person. Honestly, and I know that might sound a bit like, oh, well, good for you. Wait till we get to the part about humility. That's actually, I don't think that's in the list. Thank God. Um, but I do. I consider myself to be a patient person. And there's, there's reasons for that. Mostly because um, I'm a relatively slow person. I think slow. I talk slow. I run terribly slow. Um, and so after a while, you begin to like, figure out coping mechanisms. And patience is one of those. I think, man, I may not be the fastest, but I will outpatient you every single time. I can, I can, I can outweigh a sloth. I figured that out like a long time ago. In fact, I've even, this is how loving I am, I have figured out a way to weaponize patience. My wife and I sometimes will play uh, board games, like really complicated, dreadfully complicated uh, board games that will take at least two hours. Now, some of you know my wife, and you probably also know that my wife is way smarter than me. And I mean that sincerely, like she's just, she's sharp, super sharp. But I win her, I beat her. No, I don't beat her. I win her at games. <laughs> My wife always corrects me when I... Anyways. Um, I can win her every time. I win every single time. Because I can outpatience her. It's quite hilarious, actually. If I know if I just kind of hang in there, eventually she'll get frustrated and give up, and I'll win almost every single time. And I figured out, yeah, patience. I can actually use it to my advantage. And it's, it's, obviously it is an advantage in a lot of ways, uh, professionally and relationships. Like page, patience is a virtue. Um, it can go a long way. It can be very, very beneficial. I've also realized that um, there's, there's one thing to be patient for whatever reason, whatever motivation. And it's another thing to be patient and kind. God is patient and kind. I can be patient in that, you know, if you want to go, like, we, we can do this. I can outweigh you. I've been practicing my whole life. Now, what's happening in my heart in that moment, that's a whole nother matter. I can shut my mouth and I can just stay put but on the inside, I'm like, yo, I just can't wait to see. It's like, it's like um, when you're road raging and, and you're trying to keep it together 
and the jerk who's taunting you finally passes, and in your heart you're like, oh, I hope he wrecks. Oh, I hope he wrecks. But at least I was patient. At least I didn't say the thing or use the gesture. But inside you're like, it's not kindness. Maybe patience. But God, God is patient and kind. Here's a um, relatively well-known verse, couple of verses out of the book of 2 Peter. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day, which makes sense. God is outside of time. Okay. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not, in one, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. God in his waiting, God in his patience, is longing for his confused, rebellious, difficult, stupid, uh, broken, you name it, kids to come to our senses, to return to him, to come home. God doesn't stew in his patience. He's kind. His patience is fueled by kindness. That's the kind of patience that God has towards us. It's a kind patience. He doesn't just put up with us. He loves us. Love is patient and kind. How you guys doing? So here's another question. That's God, right? As I just said, this teaching series is first and foremost, we're looking at the heart of God. But it does beg the question, how do we grow in patience? Because truly, this is a letter written to people, and Paul's actually trying to help the church in Corinth. God wants to help us grow in love. So how might we become more patient people? Because we all want that, right? I want to be more patient. And not just externally, like keep it together. I want to, be, I want to have deep patience, like on the inside. I don't want to just tolerate the difficult people around me. I'd like to be patient and kind. So what might that look like for us? Um, I want to look at Matthew chapter 18. Um, if you want to turn there, you're very welcome to do that. There's a parable that Jesus tells about this. The parable is entitled, The Parable of the Impatient Servant. Actually, your Bible probably um, entitles it the parable of the unforgiving servant. I think a better title is the parable of the impatient servant. I'm not changing the Bible. I'm just changing the headings that people added later, just, just to be clear. The parable of the impatient servant. Uh, this is Matthew 18. Um, a little context, quickly. This is the part where um, Jesus is talking to his disciples about what you do or how you should react when someone sins against you. 
Okay, you've been offended. You've been wronged in some way. You have been sinned against. It is a super, I, my goodness, as a pastor in a church, like I've got, I've got Matthew 18 on speed dial. Okay, this is what you do when someone offends you. A brother or a sister offends you or sins against you. Number one, this is what Jesus says, go to them one-on-one. Before you, you bring in other people or gossip, whatever, one-on-one, go directly to them, appeal to them, and see if you can't win them over. Tell, tell them how you feel or how you think that they have sinned against you and attempt to reconcile one-on-one. If that doesn't work, then Jesus says, okay, then go on from there to bring one or two or three others. Bring a few people who can be sort of non-biased uh, mediators, as it were, um, or, or, you know, if you need someone who can actually, like, quote-unquote, witness the situation um, and, and see if that works. If that doesn't work, if the whole thing is just escalating and the person you're appealing to is just obstinate, doesn't really even seem to care that this is important to you, then bring it to the church. Bring it to your pastor. Bring it to the elders. Bring it to leadership. Um, but there's a, a sort of a, a sequence First, one-on-one, appeal to your brother or sister. Then bring in a couple of mutual friends. See if they can't help you to mediate. Then it escalates to like, okay, now we need to get leadership involved. So that's, that's, that's the conversation that he's just had. Then the apostle Peter, who's pretty fiery, he says this. He immediately he asks Jesus the question. This is his response. He says, Lord... The very next thing he says, Lord, how often, um, if my brother sins against me, do I need to forgive him? As many as seven times. And I imagine he's looking at the disciples like, seven, right? It's pretty good, pretty impressive. And Jesus is like, try 77. How about that? Which is kind of like 77. What does that, where does he even get that number? It's as if to say, like, like let's, let's put a multiplier. Let's add a zero. Let's add a couple zeros. Okay. And in fact, the way this works, the way God's patience works, the way grace works, let's not put a cap on it. And then he tells the parable of the impatient servant. Let me read it to you. This is Matthew 18, verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. A talent is one year's wage. It's your annual salary. No, I'm sorry. It's 20 years. It's, it's probably in your footnote someplace. One talent is 20 years annual salary. Like a ton of money. Like that's, what is that, like a coin? How does that even work? A lot of money. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. Slavery. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Just pause quickly. Okay, so that, the master, that's God. That's the king. That's the heart of God. 
in a moment I realized, oh, I'm in debt to my maker. Like terribly in debt. Crippling poverty in debt. And anyone know anything about debt in here? I know a few things about debt. It can wreck your life. Okay, imagine if you do the math, 200,000 years of annual salary. That's 10,000 talents. 200,000 years of annual salary? Okay, in other words, like, you are utterly incapable of ever, ever paying this off. Your, um, the theological term is, you're screwed. <laughs> Before the king and master. Forgive me if that offends. But it's kind of, that's, that's, the, um, that's the tone. It's extreme. It's like almost like ridiculous. And out of pity, the king forgives the debt. Um, the, the word pity, the Greek word's way too long for me to pronounce. Um, but elsewhere, it's translated as compassion, affection, tender-hearted mercy. Pity, pity's fine, but pity, I don't think it quite gets the heart, which is full of affection, love. The patience of the master isn't a, oh gosh, you're killing me. Ugh. Again, you with the situation, you with the issue, you with the sin, you with the habit, you with that thing that you've already said sorry for 200,000 times. That's not the kind of patience that we're reading about in this story. He had compassion. He had affection. He had pity. Tender-hearted mercy towards this indebted servant who could never, ever pay back the king. Notice, um, this reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells elsewhere. The son who comes to his senses and he decides he's going to return home. And he thinks to himself, maybe I can work off my debt. Maybe I can convince my dad to take me back in if I promise to sort of make up for the inheritance that I've squandered. And that's, that's, his, that's his plan. Only he gets home and his dad, before, before the son can even sort of get the words out of his mouth, his dad is like, look, I'm, I'm going to absorb the debt. You, you will never, ever be able to pay this off. And so the father absorbs the debt of his wayward son. The king absorbs the debt of his servant who could never in 200,000 years pay off his debt to his master. Now, let's meditate on the heart of our father. Let's think about it for a second. This is how patient our God is. You ever feel like God's run out of patience towards you? You ever do that thing for the thousandth 
time and you hesitate to even ask for forgiveness again because you're like, God is, surely God is just like done with me. Maybe he'll forgive me because I think that's like his job description. I think he has to or something like that. Terrible theology. Well, he has to in so much as it's his character too. And he's not going to go against his own nature. Anytime we turn to this God, his compassion for us, his patience is staggering. And he doesn't just put up with us. He loves us. He longs for his indebted kids to come to him. I know the feeling, um, just, just, the, just the pure, raw, honest emotion of feeling like, but surely God's almost out of patience. Because I think of, like, that's how I am. And I'm a pretty dang patient person. Like, I can put up with a lot. Let me tell you. And I think, if that's how I am, I mean, God must almost be at the end. To God, a day is like a thousand years. His patience and kindness is unfathomable. Now, does he run out of patience? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, does he, in the end, will he see justice done? Will he execute judgment? Yeah. In fact, we're going we're gonna to read the rest of the story just now. But how long does it take to get there? A thousand years? 10,000 years? 200,000 years? Longer? Longer. He is staggeringly patient. His kindness, from my perspective, just goes on forever. Let's meditate on that. Let's land there. This is the heart of our God. He is patient and he is kind. And then there's the rest of the story. Verse 28. But when that same servant, who was just forgiven the debt, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, not 10,000 talents, a hundred denarii. Not that much. Not a huge deal. What did he do? And seizing him, his fellow servant, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master, the king, all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not now you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger... 
his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Intense. Uh, There's a few things worth highlighting here. Uh, Number one, there is an appeal to acknowledge. So Jesus is telling this story, this parable, not in a vacuum. He's, he's actually talking to his disciples in the context of a conversation about forgiveness. And Peter is like seven times. Jesus is like, no, like out of zero, like way, way more, way more. In fact, let me tell you a story about it. And so this is, he's talking with real people, real relationship, real stuff. The appeal is that we would see ourselves in the story. Like, oh, oh yeah, I I can imagine being that servant. If I think just for a minute, I can imagine forgetting how much I have been forgiven, forgetting how patient and kind God has been towards me in a moment, just, just flip. And when someone owes me something, like, I don't know, an apology, Someone owes me uh, a bit of respect. Someone owes me uh, a bit of praise. Something. And in a moment, it's like I forget. Or something. And I go after my fellow servant and try to choke him out. The appeal is that we would acknowledge, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I can be that servant. I have been that servant, 100%. I get it. This story is just as much for me as it is Peter or anyone else that's ever read it in the last 2,000 years. And that, that is a challenge to the heart. Is that fair? That's fair? Okay. We can be that servant who has zero patience For our fellow debtor. We choke them out in our hearts until they pay what they owe us. And we do this um, in super creative ways. We choke each other out. Usually, I don't don't know how you are. Some of you have like serious anger problems and maybe you actually do. Like I've never, I'm trying to think if I ever actually tried to choke someone out. One time actually I did. I remember that. It was awesome. It was awesome. I choked him out. I put him in a sleeper. Um, I mean, no, it was terrible. I'm so ashamed. Um, we were playing, actually. He thought he was going to... Anyways. Um, uh, yeah. We find creative ways to choke out our fellow servants. It's, for me, honestly, that quote-unquote choking out is my, is my extreme passive-aggressive behavior. I'll just ignore you. I will shun you. If you really test me, I might just, like, leave. Just be like, oh, it's like that, huh? If you're not going to acknowledge how you've disrespected me, this is, see what happens next. Next thing you know, I'm gone. I've done it before. I've walked away from friendships. I've left community. I remember one time I was in a band, and I quit the band, and I just left. Disappeared, vanished. Just gone. That was my way of punishing them, because they had disrespected me, and I just left. 
wasn't worth the, uh, I don't know, the effort, the work, the pain. I had no patience. Yeah, we find ways to choke each other out, holding each other um, in debt to one another. Okay, so there it is. There's an appeal to acknowledge. We, I think we do that. I don't think I'm alone. Number two, there's a warning to heed. Can't get around it. It's heavy. It's shocking. It's real. There's a warning. We will reap what we sow, and if we don't forgive our debtors, then God won't forgive us. Do you interpret it differently? We will reap what we sow. And if we don't forgive our brother or sister, then God won't forgive us. Thirdly, and finally, there's a gift to receive. The king absorbs my debt. He doesn't just pay off the money I owe. He suffers death on my behalf. There is no debt too great. There virtually is no end to God's patience and kindness. He absorbs my debt. All I have to do is turn, come home. The servant says, will you have patience with me? And the master says, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. It's cleared. It doesn't just vanish. The master covers his debt. That was real money. The king, he covers the debt for us. So how do we get to be more patient? I would say begin by doing a deep, prolonged meditation on the staggering patience and kindness of our God. Just set in it. Soak in it. Think hard on it. Thank God for it. Receive his love. Particularly when you're utterly convinced that you don't deserve it. In those moments, especially. He has so much compassion. So much compassion. Um, and then if you catch yourself in that place where you're probably in your heart choking out your fellow servant, because you know what? They're not getting it. I appealed to them once. Heck, I appealed to them twice. I even brought it to the church. And it's been two weeks. So what's their problem? Choke them out. Shun. 
There's a warning to heed. Be careful. Be careful. Be patient. And then receive the gift. Don't just stop there. Don't just live in a in fear. Fear of punishment, I should say. Turn to Jesus. Receive his grace again today.